Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. Lent, week one. We're calling this wilderness, all right? We're in the wilderness because uh, a lot of what we shape Lent around comes from Jesus' encounter in the wilderness, spending 40 days fasting before he started his ministry, okay? His public ministry didn't start until he's about 30 years old. This is where he kicks off, spends some time, 40 days specifically. That's why we have 40 days leading up to Easter where we fast, we give up some things, we bring in some things. Maybe it's I'm going to read some scripture every day. Maybe I'm going to spend five minutes praying every day. Um, Lent, if you want a real simple definition, can be a season of addition and a season of subtraction. Adding some things into your life, like maybe prayer, maybe it's generosity, maybe it's serving, maybe it's doing something, words of kindness every day to somebody. Um, And there's also a subtraction. So maybe it's taking some time away from social media, news, TV. I don't know. What else is there? Can't really get away from your kids, but just kidding. Um, No, like things you just, you subtract, you take out of your life in order to work. Yeah, we're just going to subtract work for 40 days. It'll be good. Um, But no, it's it's a time of wilderness because you're breaking the routine of where you live. And now you're stepping into the wilderness. You're stepping into a challenging place. The wilderness, when you talk about scripture and we talk about the the metaphor, can be wild, all right? (laughs) Lent is meant to be a little bit wild. It's meant to shake us up. It's meant to do something that will transform our faith. Um, I love what Sam was talking about, that it's going to be challenging. There's difficulty in that. But there's something good about like learning to sit with God and be with him and connect with him on a deeper level. And that's what these disciplines do. That's what Lent does. That's what subtracting things from your life and adding new things that hopefully are things that will draw you to Jesus. So I'm going to read the passage. We'll dig into it. It'll be on the screen. And um, we'll kind of see what Jesus faces here. This may be new to you. But this encounter between Jesus, as he comes out of the wilderness with Satan, this conversation that he has, there's a lot to learn. And I think it's it's very relevant to the challenges that we face. So here we go. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Like stating the obvious, right? He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Right? So the first thing, he's hungry, tempter comes, or Satan, however, like your translation is. Um, evil comes in to say, turn, turn these stones into bread, because I know you're hungry. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God responds with scripture. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, 
throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Beautiful thing we have here is three examples, three situations, three separate challenges in how Jesus is faced with a temptation by Satan that we can relate to. Uh, We'll put them on the screen. Those are the three things. The physical temptation, the bread, right? The physical right off the bat. He's hungry, so Satan comes at him from the angle of his, probably his most physical immediate need, food. It's a lot of times why people will fast during Lent, You'll remove certain things that we think we're super reliant on, like I need to have my coffee or I need to have sugar, I need to have fill in your blank to be content, happy, satisfied in life, right? So we remove those things. It's a subtraction that happens in order to draw closer to God to say, no, God is my sustainer. God is the one that gives me life, satisfaction, peace, contentment, whatever it is. Jesus' response in the very first thing he says is like, man does not live on bread alone. doesn't live on the physical things of this world alone. He recognizes that there's still, you need those things, right? But not that alone. We live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So it's like just hanging on every word of God, right? We hang on the word that God loves us, that he cares for us. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, that like, stress-free life, not that we don't worry or have concerns or things that we face, but a a sense of peace because we recognize that God's power is available. It's there. He's in control that we can rely on him. And so that first temptation is a physical temptation. Do what feels right. We live in a culture that's very feeling-based, right? I don't feel like getting out of bed today. I don't ever feel like doing certain things, right? And if our feelings lead us, they can lead us into bad places. Feelings are good and in check, right? Our feelings need to have that, uh, the checks and balances. And so what we see here is Jesus just defining that temptation, just shooting it down and just saying, you know what? The physical part of my life, God's in control of that. I'm going to rely on him for it. And then the second one is the emotional temptation to begin to question God's love and we begin to see the devil's like, I'm just going to, like, if you're the son of God, if you really are God, throw yourself down and watch how much God loves you and see if he actually takes care of you, right? It's the temptation to have things in control. And Jesus' response is like, I'm, you know, I'm not about that. Like, I don't, te- I don't allow God to be tested. Like, I don't want to test him because it's basically, it's confronting the power that God has and saying that he doesn't have any. And then the last part is the control temptation to take over the throne, to be in charge, to be the ones that 
rule over our lives rather than Christ being the center of our lives. And so um, these three temptations, I believe, are things we will face. So if you, the moment you make a commitment during Lent, and many of you have, the moment you make that commitment to remove something for your life, from your life, Satan will try and jump in and say, well, you need that. Say if it's social media. That was my challenge. It was like, well, you need that to communicate with other people, to do your job, to do whatever. So Satan will use those ways to come in and be like, no, just keep going down that road because you need to have that in order to maintain your status in culture with friends and people. And, and so Satan will jump in and drop little things that will try and pull you away. If it's food that you're removing from your life, you're like, well, I just don't, I don't feel like I'll have the strength to do this because I feel kind of weak physically. And those are the moments where Satan will come in and be like, well, just, just eat whatever you're going to do and just have the sugar, have the coffee, have the whatever. Whatever that thing is that you've removed from your life and instantly just drop it in and be like, you need it. You have to have it in order to be comfortable and satisfied and, and to function in life. And Jesus comes in and is like, no, the invitation is that you will trust and that you will see that God is going to get you through that. It will be challenging. It might be difficult. It might be physically challenging, mentally challenging. Your feelings might get hurt, but what happens is you begin to grow a strength, a resilience to the fact that God is in control, that he's there, that he will provide, he will take care of you. We're fed stories all the time, aren't we? We're fed stories every single day about what we need, what we have to have in order to function. Um, Maybe it comes from the news. Maybe you're fed news constantly, and we're fed the story that we are to live in fear constantly. Um, I forgot who I was talking to, but they were like, we were talking about the weather and how, how intense it's been in California but it hasn't been that intense for us, right? I think you posted one of the day where like, trash cans fell over. We will rebuild, you know, like, <laughs> like, the, like we don't get hit as hard. And so we have family that call us and they're just like, you guys got tons of rain and everything? It's like, no, not that bad. But Northern California has been just hammered, right? But it's not the same, you know? And so like we have this news that like creates fear and like everybody's like the world's just falling apart, you know, and it's really not like some trash cans fell over for us. Others are suffering, others are challenged, but not us, right? Um, but the fear that we're fed from news, that can rule our lives. That can become a story that we tell ourselves that everything's falling apart when it's in reality. No, it's just a certain part of the world or a certain part of culture or whatever it is. Um, and so there are stories that we're constantly fed. You may have friends that are feeding you stories about who you are and what you should be doing. Uh, you may have family members that feed us stories. Um, stories come from all over the place. And the story that we buy into, the story that we believe is most powerful and that is true, is the story that Jesus invites us into of love. And this journey towards Easter is a season of reminding ourselves for 40 days, not that we don't the rest of the year, but it's reminding us of for 40 days that this is the story that we truly believe in. So if I remove something from my life that I think I have to have, I have to recognize the reality that I'm reliant on God, right? 
if I don't remove those things, I may never realize that I'm reliant on those things versus God. And so this subtraction, the season of Lent is just, or even just adding in times of scripture where you're reminded that God is in control, that he is powerful, that he loves us deeply. 40 days of just sitting and having that every morning, the story we are now living into becomes reality because we are the stories that we hear over and over. If you constantly live on news feed, you know what that's like, right? You live in that fear state. If you constantly live in social media world where it's like everything's better in everybody else's life than mine, then that's the story we're fed. But if the story we're fed is scripture, the story is the story that we're fed is that you were loved, um, then that begins to shape our lives. It shapes us. And that's what Lent is doing. And that's what Jesus does here in 40 days and modeling to us. We're not going to buy the lie that Satan gives us. We're not going to buy the lie of the false story, the false narrative that comes from all these different places. And you could use those three things if you need those as a reminder this, these next 40 days or 30, what is it? I don't know, 35 days. Um, yeah, come on. Um, if you need to be reminded that there's a physical temptation that will happen, then write that down. Maybe put it on your mirror, put it on your phone. Just be like, there's, Satan's going to come at you from this angle. Maybe if you need to be reminded, there's going to be an emotional temptation, a feeling that's going to happen. Um, we're going to question God's love in those moments. If you need to be reminded that there's going to be a control temptation, a temptation to take control of life because you're like, it's chaotic and I just don't feel like things are in order, it's going to happen. And what, sa- what Satan does here is helps us see really the reality of how you respond to those things. Jesus teaches us this beautiful model of like, turn to scripture because he quotes scripture in each time here. He comes back with like very well-known verses in that time that would have been like the go-to, like, no, I trust in God, right? Ends it with worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Like that is the core to the Jewish faith at that time. So he focuses in on that. So that journey that we're invited into can be challenging, but we know that ultimately God wins. In Romans 8.38, it says, I am convinced, this is Paul talking, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. So when you are faced with these challenges, when we step into these difficulties, he says, there's nothing that can separate you. Satan can't come in and do this. If you buy his story, yes, but we don't do that. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, there it is, Neither our fears, which can be another one, right? It doesn't have to be Satan. Sometimes I think we give Satan way too much credit. And it's really our own fears, right? Our own concerns that we've created for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. I've definitely worried about tomorrow before and probably will again, right? But we want to fight back on that and say, you know, I don't need to worry about tomorrow. I don't need to worry about the future and what's going to happen And he says, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And the invitation here is, Paul's just saying, let's sit in God's love. Let's be reminded that he loves us deeply. And in this moment, that's all you need. You don't need all these other things to make you content, to make you happy. You really don't need those things. And so Lent, again, is a subtraction time of recognizing it. The key takeaway that I see here in in Jesus' interaction with Satan is not just those three things, but 
the fact that Jesus comes at this with fire. Like he is at his weakest point, but he still comes back with fire and he still comes back with this power, this confidence that I think is inspiring, right? At his weakest point, he still has a firm foundation in the fact that God is in control. And his response to Satan, I think, is a natural response to how he's been shaped, how he's created, where his trust is. So what do I mean by that? So um, the, the technical term here that we see in Scripture is that Jesus is God-embodied, right? That he's flesh and blood, but he's also God. Um, and the, the, the term is the hypostatic union. I, I'll give you the definition. I think I threw it on the slides there. The hypostatic union is the mysterious joining of the divine and the human in one in the person of Jesus. It's this mysterious thing that Jesus is somehow fully God and fully man. And his full godness wouldn't allow him to say, yeah, I should just bow down to Satan. Yeah, I should just give in because I'm really hungry right now and I really want some bread. His, in who Jesus is, is an example of what it looks like to be fully surrendered, fully devoted, fully committed to God. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by, his, uh, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what we see here is that Jesus, being the imperfect image of who God is, shows us exactly what it looks like to be God and uh, to be obedient to God fully in the flesh. Because Jesus dealt with the same challenges that we face, the same desires, the same, his hunger was just as much our hunger. His challenge is just as much our challenge that we experience. But there's a full surrender to the Father because it's living in and through him. So what does this mean? Um, what we see Jesus demonstrating is the way that he's created and designed to be. That the story that he is living into is a story that he's created for. And I believe that we're all created for that, but we've just, like I said before, we've bought into other stories. We've bought into other things that tell us, no, money makes me comfortable, right? Um, my finances makes me at peace. When it's in reality, that's not. That's so temporary. And so what's happening here is a solid example of what it looks like to be formed in a way that is so surrendered to God that it results in this fire, this like response of just like, no, this is exactly how to live life. And uh, Mark Sayers is a podcast called Rebuilders. I would encourage you to listen to it if you're interested in um, just your journey with Christ and culturally what that looks like and how to begin to live that out. Um, he talks about this idea of fire and form. And he talks about fire is the movement of God and form is the disciplines that it takes to live out that fire of God. There will be no fire without the form, is what he says. And so the form is how we begin to discipline our lives. And that's 
basically Lent. That's taking something out of our lives. It's shaping our lives in order to be more like Christ. And so that form, that humility begins to shape us to be more like Jesus so that when we encounter Satan in those moments, when we encounter those things that want to rob us of true life, we have fire because we've been shaped in such a way, because we've done the things, the patterns that begin to bear fruit. And so um, John Wesley talks about this. He says, true humility is a kind of self-annihilation, and this is the center of all virtues. That's a like kind of a flowery way of saying, if you want to be on fire with God, you have to be disciplined and you have to surrender yourself. Like there has to be a self-annihilation. Like you have to get rid of yourself which Jesus said over and over, he said, take up your cross and follow me. He says, you have to get rid of yourself in order to allow Jesus to come in and be the center of your life. Um, Our pattern is centered around me and what I want, right? What the pattern that Jesus invites us into, he says, I want you to live into this pattern that is loving and focusing on others. And that's where we have to begin to just shift our mindset that it's not about me, it's about others, It's about serving. It's about loving people and putting God's center in my life. And then it begins to happen. And this is the same reason that like, if we have these disciplines the same way, like, did anybody play any sports in here? Shout out a sport. Like, give me an example. Because I don't want to use baseball because I've used it many a time. But um, golf. Okay, so the golf swing doesn't happen by picking up clubs and just walking out on the course, right? The golf swing and a solid swing where you have everything dialed in comes from practice. So the golfer doesn't miraculously show up on the course and just start just nailing hole-in-ones, like just sinking them over and over by luck or by chance or by just like, well, just this is how God created me. It doesn't happen that way. It happens as a result of disciplines, practices, patterns that have been created to then thrive. And that's the Christian life. That's why we have Lent. The Christian calendar has been shaped that way um, to begin to say, what are the patterns in my life that I need to create or put into my life? What do I need to add in or what do I need to subtract to then have a solid golf swing, right? So then I can, when I'm encountering a challenge like Jesus encountering Satan, it goes well. Because when you encounter challenges, if you are not prepared, you will fail, right? If we are not challenged in the way that we live our daily life as believers, when we get into the midst of life falling apart, whatever that might be, finances completely just tank, economy goes, you know, crazy, whatever it is, family member does something that's totally unexpected. If we are not prepared, if there's no discipline and, and uh, patterns that have shaped us to be prepared to trust, when that happens, we collapse. And what I'm trying to say is that Jesus, the patterns that he had, the trust that he had, the abiding that exists in his life, set him up to be like, no, no, no. Three times in a row. There's nothing that could get into his life and pull him apart and destroy him because of the patterns that he'd created. And so, I think sometimes this requires perspective. I want to show you a quick video that maybe I think will help us. It's um, John Jorgensen, but it's like a, a prayer or a poem that begins to, I think, help us think big picture. Because I think sometimes we have to think big picture to know that those patterns will shape us in a way 
that will be really good in the end. So hopefully this can help us like think outside the box a little bit. Check this out. When I was seven years old, I flew in a plane for the first time and I created a game for myself. Count the number of backyard pools you see. You miss one, you lose. When I turned 21, I flew to Los Angeles, which was a first for me on two accounts. My first time in LA and my first time losing the swimming pool game. For the least captive audience ever, you try and tell me what to do in case of a water landing. But what you don't understand is I put the frequent in flyer, collecting rewards which really only amount to flying more. Gazing out my rounded rectangle, I never miss the takeoff. The slow zoom as things bigger than you fade smaller and smaller until they become so distant that I can't even squish them between my fingers anymore. Imagine how a bird must feel the first time it swoops down to land on the ground and thinks, that house is much bigger than it looks. I like it better up there, where you're the first to know the weather. Suspended between time zones and atmospheres, I get acquainted with the clouds, cheating death and gravity for $329 plus tax. From up there, I see where roads begin and end. And I want to cheer on the cars. You're almost there. It's just around the corner. You just can't see it yet. From up there, I see small clusters of light reminding me of brainwave activity scans. And I think a city is perhaps a synapse of God's brain. Lighting up where connections are being made with the Almighty. Which makes sense why most of the earth below is so pitch black. With the seatbelt sign turned on and the man in the aisle seat white-knuckled on the armrest, I remind him that no plane has ever crashed from turbulence. But if we had the choice, don't you think most passengers would give up before it passes? What if on the ground we had no choice but to strap in and wait it out? How many still-fathered children would there be? How many unsigned divorce papers? How many unread suicide notes? How many of us would stick around if we knew that what is turbulent is ultimately harmless? And that, though annoying, the change fee is necessary. Because change never comes free, and I'll gladly pay the price if it will get us where we're going faster. But we fail to recognize that if your name's on the suitcase, it's just going to come around again and again until you grab it. The turnstile of life keeps kicking back what you refuse to pick up. In other words, we all have to claim our baggage before we can move on. From up there, I can see all that. But from down here... I'm lucky if I even take the time to look up and wish I could fly. I love the analogy of the car. You're almost there. We are sometimes, I think, in that place of the car going, it's a forever journey and it's so difficult and so tedious, but sometimes our perspective needs to be up here where we can go, yeah, you know what, the journey, you're almost there. It's just around the corner, you know. Um, Lent, giving up of something can be difficult. But when you look at it from a really big perspective, it's going to do some beautiful things. You're almost there. It's only a handful of days that 
it's going to go by fast. And you got Sundays off to celebrate anyways, right? <laughs> so you can drink the coffee, have the chocolate, do whatever you got to do on Sunday, celebrate. It's meant to be a celebration time. But know that the journey, the difficulties, the challenges, and I'm not undermining those challenges. You might have really heavy things going on in your life that are beyond just giving up some cup of coffee. Some concerns that you have that are more than just giving up chocolate or whatever it is. That being reminded that God is bigger than this and that we have to have a perspective that says, man, I'm going to be disciplined in this little part of the road that I'm on right now just to say, like, it's going to get better. It's going to change. This is just one part of the journey. Um, I need to be obedient in it. I think we just, it requires a perspective. In Colossians 3, it talks about that. It says, set your minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. And I felt like that poem tied in perfectly with that, that we have to set our minds on things above because we get so caught up on the things of earth, the stories of earth, the stories of social media, the stories of news, the stories of family members, the stories of our challenges, and we think that that's it. And we forget that the things above are so much bigger, that life is so much bigger when we begin to look at it from God's perspective, that yes, the, the minute part of your life right now, the day-to-day matters, the way you interact with people, yes, it matters, it's very crucial. But how we have the energy for that, how we have the ability to cope with that and to engage in those difficult things is having the big perspective, the airplane, 30,000-foot perspective, and go, yeah, you know what? I remember when I was on that road back there. I got through it, and I made it, and now I'm here, right? So um, that's just my hope and my, my encouragement. Um, just as we engage Lent, that you would be hopeful that when it is challenging, that you can recognize and trust that Jesus is with us, um, but he's shaping us in beautiful ways. And, um, and so, like, I just want to close with this question that these patterns and habits are meant to shape us to be more loving. They're meant to shape us to be more generous, more kind, more patient, more joyful as believers. Um, Jesus had that. It was in his being. It was everything about who he was. And so Satan couldn't even phase him, couldn't even, like, put a dent in his conversation Um, these three temptations that come at us are going to come at us all during this time, um, and they'll come at us even after Lent's over. There will be temptations. There will be challenges. It's what we do with them. Um, So my question is, what patterns do you currently have that shape your life in Christ? What do you have that shapes you to be more ready for when Satan comes at you, more resilient It's one of the books we're reading through. Um, What patterns do you have? Do you have a morning prayer? Does that prep you? Are you you get up and you're psyched and you're ready? Like 10 minutes of prayer, let's do this. Do you have an app that you listen to, that you read, that you follow along, that encourages you, that inspires you? You have your Bible open at times during the day. Um, If you're getting 30 minutes of news, you should have at least an hour, at least double (laughs) this message, right? (laughs) We want to fight back those stories. So how are you fighting back those stories? What patterns do you have? Or what patterns are you going to invite into your life during these next 30, I don't know, what is it? 35 days, something like that? We've got to figure this out. <laughs> Let's backtrack. 
There we go. Thank you. Confident 35, whether it is or not, I don't care. Um, we're moving towards it, right? And we need to have those things in place that will begin to shape us so that we're prepared. And that's my prayer for us. So um, if you have something that you're confidently doing daily and you're like, this has been changing my life, share it with somebody. We're going to close a prayer and then I'm just going to invite you to say hi to somebody new. Grab some coffee, grab some tea, grab some water if you're just fasting and you don't need it. But celebration day is today. Just reminding you. Um, enjoy it. Uh, but go and share that with somebody. If there's something you're reading right now that you're like, this just sets me on focus with God. Or this person, when I spend time with them, they remind me that God's in control. Um, or it's, I don't know what it is, but just share it. Um, and if you don't have anything, listen to somebody else maybe. Maybe they have something that you can learn from and you can be inspired by. So let me pray and uh, let's, let's charge into that this week. Lord, thank you for um, your love for us. We're so grateful that we can be reminded that as we begin to take on these patterns of living, um, not because we have to, not because you've just told us to, but because we want to thrive and we want to have patterns that shape us in beautiful, good ways, patterns that begin to invite your story into our lives, that we can shut out the other stories that are lies, that are deceiving, that are not good for us. We want to live into this beautiful story. And so as we step into the rest of this day, Lord, give us strength. Give us your Holy Spirit to discern what is not good for us, what is a bad choice, and what is a good choice as we begin to surrender and fall more in love with you, Jesus. We love you, and I'm so thankful for everyone here this morning, and I just pray that you would just empower them, fill them with your Holy Spirit as we leave and go into the rest of this day. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. This is our benediction that we read every week, so rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, that he's guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of every day. Amen. Meet somebody new. Say hi to somebody.